What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 53 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise Card UK and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I am joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I'm all the better for joining this podcast once again, my friend. Looking forward to another good one. Mate, with things going on at the moment, it has literally been two weeks since I spoke to you. Maybe that's for the benefit of the podcast. Because there's so much, there's so, with me and you, I know that we message, but there were so many times when we used to, obviously, when we could see each other every single Saturday, that yeah. we would we would just start talking about music because that's one of our main interests. I, I wonder whether it benefits the podcast actually that we never see that we don't actually see each other at the moment. I think I think it benefits it in some ways, but also sort of not in others. The thing is as well is the fact that we don't see each other very uh, very often anymore because of the circumstance that we're all surrounded by, is that the podcast, instead of being these sort of cultured, cultivated discussions, it's us just sort of vomiting on each other with our opinions. (laughs) And just sort of, there's no no fucking um, element of discourse or arrangement or organisation at all. It's just like, here are the 27 things I've thought of in the last six days. Have all of them. And and I think I think that's what's that's what's taking place. Um, so I think if the podcast is just like us as people, I think it's fine because then it's like um, sort of joining us in a friendly conversation. If you're a person that prefers us to be to the letter and sort of organised and more succinct and concise, then I'm very sorry. You've got to write a letter to Boris Johnson to let us see each other um, because otherwise you're going to get these sort of like sleepover esque sort of confessions to each other at the at, at some of these at some of these musical topics that we're going to discuss but i i've got no issue with it to be honest i think if you listen to this podcast for us too then this is kind of the best version of what you probably like to get if you dislike the sound of me and sam vomiting our opinions on each other you must under all circumstances avoid us when we've had a drink <laughs> because <laughs> it's this but turned up to 11 absolute nonsense <laughs> much slower and much louder, but yeah. uh, but no less passionate. Yeah, um, I actually saw your tweet about that. What feels like a sport, but isn't, and you said keeping your opinion to yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's mate, is <laughs> that it not? Is damn fucking true. No, it is it absolutely not? is. I've seen your face when you're trying to keep a viewpoint to yourself, and it looks like someone trying to hold onto a wasp in between <laughs> their lips. Like it's just that I can just see you squirming, desperate to get it out. It is. A sensational viewing experience. So the I amount, wholeheartedly agree with that. The amount of times might have to be like, you're 27 years old, you're 27 years old, you're 27 years old. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like literally, it literally even on, on Friday at work, like obviously at work, you bite your tongue. You bite your tongue at work more than any other place in the world, don't you? Because yes, at the end of, of the course, day, of if, you, if you piss someone off, you've got to see them the next day. So unless it's absolutely necessary or, or unless you just lose it, you, you bite your tongue a lot at work. Um, but, <clears throat> like for me god if i didn't have like a place to vent my musical opinions the world would be a worse place because i'd probably be making 16 blog posts across the fucking across the internet every day talking about what i like or dislike so thankfully uh this podcast is in existence and thankfully we are fortnightly rock and metal podcast sponsored by the wonderful folks at Brand Records are available on youtube spotify apple music basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts on our last show 
Our album reviews came from clippings with what clipping with visions of bodies being burned and bringing the horizons post human survival horror. Plus, I did my Chris Meat special with Annie Doris of Clip Drip, which, what well, if you still haven't listened to that, uh, please go back and listen. Really, really fascinating um, dissection of intersectional feminism. Um, what it was like for them to create the album cover. Loads of really good stuff. That uh, are really one of my favourite uh, Chris Mates I've ever done. Uh, on this week's show, we're going to run through the news as usual. And album reviews come from Killer Be Killed with Reluctant Hero and Palm Reader's new record, Sleepless. As well as that, uh, we've got another Chris Mates special, as you will see from the title of this podcast, where I met Andy and Sam from Palm Reader. They were wonderful enough to give me just around 30 minutes of their time. Um, again, fascinating chat on history of the band, um, what it's like to be underground heroes, I suppose, of hardcore and other genres and to see where their next steps are expected to take them. So be sure to stick around for the end of the podcast for that. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. We've only recently set that up. Me and Sam very soon are going to start putting our every thought on there. So follow at your absolute peril. And remember as well, we can now talk about Power Festival, which will take place on the 1st of May 2021 in Cardiff. And tickets are available now at StereoBrandRecords.co.uk. Appearing across the day, uh, the Lair, the Liar, the Lair, sorry, uh, Bitch Falcon, Night Lives, Click Drip, Pet Cemetery, Two Dozen, The Hexy, Pity, Salt the Snail, Treehouse, and there's still more to be announced as well. Um, remember to drop us on a like and a subscription wherever you're listening to the podcast. It helps us out more than you could possibly know. Sam, are you ready to dive into the news? Couldn't be happier. Could you believe, Sam, that 15 years... Since we last heard new music for them, we are about to discuss two new System of a Down songs, Protect the Land and Genocidal Humanoids. Mate, what a what a time. What a what a year for System of a Down to return. It had to be this one, didn't it? Yeah, of course. It could it could not be any other year. Uh, the two songs uh, quote speak of a dire and serious war being perpetrated upon our cultural homelands of Artsakh and Armenia. All proceeds from the songs are being donated to the Armenia Fund. What's interesting here, Sam, and actually maybe not interesting, but maybe the most predictable thing of all time, is that the songs themselves are absolutely not the biggest story here. Did you see the fallout from the two tracks being released? I've heard a little bit about this, but if you could elucidate, um, sort of illuminate me with a bit more detail, that'd be lovely. So Darren Malakian posted on Instagram on the day of release... I'm very happy to release these two new songs under the system banner. The original plan was to, the, to release them on future Scars on Broadway albums, Scars on Broadway being his other band, of course. But I'm happy we came together as system to make a statement for our people. I'm not going to go on any further yet, Sam. Immediate thoughts. He sounds bitter, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, like, very much like knocking on doors. Did you know I wrote this? Hundred percent. Happy to put it out all together. I'm glad we came together, but I just wanted to let you know that it was me and me and Darren that wrote these songs. Is what is what's the need for this? I will continue. Uh, a comment Please. from a fan. Even in this desperate moment, you need to state that these are your songs and that you humbly agree to release them under the system banner, as if it's something smaller than your own ego. Right. Darren's response. <laughs> <laughs> owned. 
<laughs> Darren's response to that was, I guess you'd rather I lie to you. Why would I leave out the truth? We did the songs a system because of the situation, Artsakh. Otherwise, they would have been future Scar songs. It's really strange that it bothers you that I take credit for my work. If you wrote the songs, I'm sure you'd want people to know about your work and contributions. Don't artists sign their name under paintings? I guess in your world, every artist that takes credit for their work is an egomaniac. Sam, immediate thoughts? You're not fucking Picasso. You're the drummer of System of a Town. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's Darren Malaki. It's Darren Malaki, and not John Dalmayan. Although he does come into oh. this in a short. He does come into this in a oh. short while. Sorry, this. Oh, did, I'm not sure whether I made it clear. This is Darren Malaki. I might have. I might have misheard because of all the, the stuff that's happened with System of a Down and the drummer John Dalmayan. Yeah, he comes in. He comes in yeah. the moment. At the moment, which, right, okay. at the moment, this is Darren Malaki. Um, right, so well, yeah, in, sorry. In that, in, immediate thoughts. In that circumstance, then either way, you're you're the you're the singer of Scars on Broadway and part vocalist in Instance with a Down, you're not Picasso. But I think it's it, it's implied, right, that by System of a Down being in it, you are still a lead songwriter. Yeah. You don't necessarily need to do this underlining little asterisk, oh by the way, I wrote this song and it would have been Scars on Broadway and we let Sergi in a little bit at the end. There's absolutely no need for that. Everyone who knows anything about System of a Down knows that Darren Malakian and Serge Tankian are co-songwriters on a lot of songs. Darren Malakian was pretty much the main songwriter for a lot of stuff as well. You don't need to do this. It just comes across as passive-aggressive. And he says, yeah, um, artists do sign their name under tracks. They don't then tweet. I don't know if you knew this, but I know this frame was made by that guy over there, but I actually painted the painting. Obviously, dude. Obviously, when the albums come out, the songwriting credits are there. That's the that's the equivalent of your signature. You fucking egomaniacal tool. It's what's so unnecessary. So, this actually draws very closely into the reason why we haven't received a new System of a Day album in fifteen years. Because a few years ago, Serge was talking in an interview about their inability to come together. And the reason for that, uh, and obviously you can go online if you're listening and research this yourself. The reason for that is because Darren likes a large amount of creative control and with that then likes a large portion of the royalties uh, to which some of the other members disagree with that and are more of the case of, well, we're all in the band, so the royalties should be split equally. Um, I believe that Serge went to Darren with an idea before of, okay, how about you write six, I write six, everyone else has a say on what gets let in, and then we split the royalties. I believe, again, don't quote me, I believe Darren turned that down and he wanted to retain um, a large amount of creative control. Then, Sam, you've got the issues of John Dalmayan, who is the drummer of System of a Down and he's incredibly pro-Republican. And he has made that stance particularly clear over the last few months, but has very much re-drilled that into the ground now with his reaction to the recent election in North America with uh, Joe Biden coming out as the president-elect and uh, John Dalmayer making it particularly clear that he uh, has urged fans to, you know, quote-unquote, fight for Donald Trump, insisting that the election isn't over and kind of buying into the concept of uh, some kind of illicit illegal activity going on during this election so I think Sam that System of a, a System of a Down are the only band in the world 
that could release two songs on a whim, out the blue, and actually they've never been further away from writing a record. Yeah, I, that this this could be <laughs> this could be two songs that just come out and then we never hear them of them ever again. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it's very it's very very possible, isn't it? I, I you know what annoys me is that you've you've stated that uh, about Serge and Darren, and it's quite clear that Darren appears to be leading a lot of these divisions between the bands. Um, but did you see this this Radio Six Music interview he gave? I was gonna I was gonna mention and see if you caught wind of this because he that Radio Six interview is very much being like oh infighting prevents a new album you know yeah it's this person not getting on with this person when you know there's on, there's only one group of people that really know the inner workings of the band but it very much seems to me that Darren is really one of the lead instigators in it not being a possibility yeah he's he, I, I do personally work away and say it's a shame that things don't come together to make a new record happen you're the main reason why the new record has not happened it seems like it just seems like he's playing the victim to the press and then at the same time he's demanding that the only way a new record happens is under his circumstances if you really wanted a system album to come out because Darren's not stupid Scars on Broadway would register one type of critical response and System of a Down would recognize, reckon another type of, of critical response. It's, it's quite clear what the best financial move for him anyway. Would you rather make 100% of the, of the royalties on Scars on Broadway or 50% on System of a Down? Like, come on, man. Like, it, it's not a difficult decision to make. It's just incredibly upsetting that he is choosing to value his own ego of what clearly would be a terrific musical project because it's sad that we have to, we, we've not even spoken about the songs. Um, yeah. the, the songs are great. They are. They're brilliant. They're amazing. They're, ter- they're terrific. And I was terrified to press in play on this or at least greatly concerned. I think terror is probably the proper appropriate feeling, but um, pressing play thinking, oh, I hope this isn't shit. 15 years away. A specific type of sound. I hope this isn't shit. And honestly, this could have been released in two thousand seven. Yeah, this was. This is absolutely spellbinding. Really, 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 really good. And it's quite clear that if they could just get along for six months, a great system of a down album would be produced out of this. And it just, it just, it is just incredibly disappointing that this kind of infighting is the passive aggressiveness is getting in the way. Like. <sighs> He'd rather than the album not take place than him get seventy to eighty percent of the royalties. It's a band collaborative effort. You're right. You've written the basic of the basis of the songs and things like that, and I understand that. But they've still got to be played and brought together, and it's so unnecessary, man. So unnecessary. You hit the nail on the head, mate. We're talking about two new System of a Down albums, songs here, and we haven't even spoke. We barely spoke about them because they're not somehow they're not the important part of this new story <laughs> somehow, but I'll completely yeah. back your sentiments, mate. The songs are great. It's, uh, it's, it's a real knife in the side that a band as talented and as fucking needed a system of a down. Like how many, how many bands would you rather write an album in 2020 rather than system of a down rage against the machine? Maybe you, you know what I mean? But, 
of our of our time uh, bands of our time and bands in our alternative landscape system of down absolutely one of the one of the bands that i would first of all choose to write an album in 2020 uh, and it's it's a it's a fucking pain in the ass they're never good they're never going to write another album are they it's just never going to happen um in, in some ways in some ways, that's kind of like a good thing in the sense of, well, they've wrote four fucking tremendous albums and one which is one of my favourite albums of all time in Toxicity. So their legacy kind of will remain untouched, kind of. They did four great albums, one of which being an absolute fucking tremendous out-of-this-world one. So it works in that sense. And would you rather... I don't know. Would you rather live fast or die young? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I understand, I understand that, that it's, you know... If you're the hero for long enough, eventually, you, you know, you last long enough to become the enemy kind of thing. If I, you know, <laughs> to use that dark knight uh, phraseology. But you see what I mean, don't you? I mean, fucking, I don't know, uh, trying to give an example here. Not Green Day, because we use them all the time. Fucking... And they suck. ACDC. Right. Yeah, okay. ACDC. Uh, double digit albums. Yep. Anyone give a fuck after 1992? I mean, I know that one they did in 2008 was like, oh, it's great for 2008 ACDC. But no one, no one really gives a shit about it, do they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. It's, it's just a, a sort of new, new sleeve on what's taking place. But that, yeah. that's the thing, is, is that, that that isn't what's happening here. This is, clearly a, this is clearly a band that have something massive yet to give. Yeah. And have a real back catalogue of, of some really culturally significant albums that, I mean, it's just, it's just depressing that a band this good and letting petty differences get in the way of, of doing what they do best. And it just, that, 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 that's the end of it. I hope that, I hope that there's a way for them to come together. I just don't expect it to, um, because if you combine the personalities of this group and the way that they seem to interact with each other, then I can't imagine enjoying spending time around them it, based on what is, this recording experience would be entirely functional. It doesn't sound like they have any sort of sense of sort of brotherhood or relationship with each other. But if it's just, if you can't put the, the concerns about money to one side enough to make an album and split the royalties down the middle for the best of the band to put the cut, to put the cut, put the con um, to the content out there, then, then you never will. I hope, and and the sad thing is, maybe when that when Darren finally sort of realizes uh, the error of his ways, they're gonna it's gonna be like ten years from now, and they'll have missed the boat on what could have been an exceptional system of a down album, to one that might sound older and tired, and just not as good, and and that that's the that's that's the sad thing. Going to move on to the next news item, Sam, which I've purposefully kept away from you because I wanted to get real time reactions. Okay. This usually isn't good news. Deftones guitarist Stephen Carpenter outs himself as a flat earther. Right. <laughs> it's the second most ridiculous thing he's come out with since all of the Deftones. <laughs> right. So, um, what was that? So, supposedly, he was interviewed on a podcast called The Team Foil Hat with Sam Tripoli. Uh, I'm not familiar right. with it. I'm not, I'm not familiar <laughs> with it at all. Um, no, I... He was asked directly if he was a flat earth dude, to which he responded, absolutely. If you think you're living on a spinning, flying space ball, you're in a cult. Um, 
What? Hang on, hang on. Uh, he added, it's a much clearer perspective once you acknowledge it because it's something that's blatant and it's in everything and you just have to, you know, understand what you're looking at. Um, he then went on to reject the concept of space and space travel. Stated what the do only you mean? Reject the, on- the concept of space? The only thing that was ever launched into space was humanity's imagination. <laughs> oh, that's a great song title. But what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> One second. What do you mean? <laughs> when you first learn about flat Earth, at least when I did, I learned about all that no dinosaur, no dinosaur shit, no nuke stuff, and everything. I mean, literally, you just start going down the path. Oh my god, there's so much fake shit, and it just keeps happening. You know, once I realised there was no such place as space, and we're in this, you know created environment if you will it changed everything i immediately lost all the space fear like i have no fears of us ever being struck by some rogue asteroid meteor comet rogue planet no solar flares none of this space fucking devil's gonna get you um then later on he was asked about his thoughts on like vaccine being created for covid19 um to which he responded there's never been one single vaccine that's ever worked um what all poisons, you can never get it out of your body. Your body has no means to expel it. It's stuck in you forever, and you just suffer. You just suffer with whatever it becomes. Um, he, he, go, he goes on here as well. Um, they genuinely believe there's a deadly virus going, God virus going around the world, and they would have believed it already. They already thought life was deadly and dangerous, so there is no help to them. I think he's referring to people who believe in vaccines here. But everyone else part-time wears the mask. They already know it's worthless. Please stop. You're embarrassing yourself. And that's no disrespect to those who've fallen ill, and even those who've died from whatever they may have died from. Obviously, none of that is disregarded. But I do not connect that to what this is, you know. What this is, is some, this is some just kind of mental trickery. Now, uh, for those, for, for the, I have kind of paraphrased in some areas there. For those who want to read the full article, it's, it's put up on uh, Metal Hammer's website and they go into good detail there. Now, obviously, Sam, for me, absolute fucking bollocks nonsense. However, the reason why I've brought this up is that it has caused some Deftones fans to be particularly disappointed to discover the news and be like, oh, fucking hell, well, I can't listen to Deftones again now. Um, just for me personally, Sam, pick a band that I really like. Make them suffer. I really like Make Them Suffer. If Sean Harmonis came out as a flat earther, I wouldn't give a fucking shit. I'd still listen to Make Them Suffer. Like, he's a flat earther. All right, okay. He's, he doesn't believe in the concept of vaccines. Well, I, I think I think that's nonsense. But it's not going to stop me fucking listening to make them suffer. Now, obviously, when you get to fucking Ian Watkins territory, I understand. But to be like, I can't listen to your band now because you're a flat earther. Um, I think that's... I, th- I, I'm, I don't understand, Sam. What, what about you? If James Hetfield no, was a flat earther, would you give a shit? No, I wouldn't. He's, he, James Hetfield comes from a family of where parents were Christian scientists, and and they they he, James Hetfield doesn't believe it, but they they believe that they they didn't believe in like medicine and stuff, so they would just like pray instead of like fixing broken bones and stuff, um, and that was that's fucked up as well. But essentially, no, I if I was a if I was a Deftones fan, um, and I heard about this, it would it would be disappointing because it'd be like, you know, you're in a band that I like and you like to think that people that produce music that you enjoy are 
deeper link to you in terms of sharing opinions and things like that which is why it's particularly nice when people that you do like do good things you know it's it's nice when people like uh jason butler is interested in social justice yeah it's nice when people like sam carter care about the environment it's nice when like marcus rashford cares about free school meals children, despite the fact that he's a million pound, multi-million pound footballer playing for Manchester United. It's nice that people that you like also are interested in things that you think matter, but it's not an expectation on anybody. It really, really isn't. And honestly, if it's the same with any group, at some point there are going to be people that have varied opinions about varied things. The internet's a big place and you can find people that have certain opinions. And everyone's got stuff that they believe, maybe conspiracy theories that they have. You know, me and you could talk about the Kennedy assassination for sake of argument, and we could, I could say something like, I'm not saying this is my view, but I could say something like, you know, I think the Cubans shot him. And you could be like, you know what, I think it was the Russians. And someone else would be like, well, actually, it was definitely Lee Harvey Oswald. It's just a version of a conspiracy theory. And that's perfectly okay to share opinions. I find it astonishing, to be frank, that a man who has literally travelled around the world, key phrase, around, for a band, has literally looked out of an airplane, I assume, and seen the curvature of the earth, would then deny it. Um, seems really strange to me. But that, if that's his opinion, that's not affecting the music that he produces. Now, if the music became shit or in my view more shit as a result of his opinions then cool but absolutely not does it affect um affect your enjoyment of the music i i'm sure if we really thought about it every if we put every band's political opinions together i'm sure lots of them chris especially some of the american ones uh you know probably trump voters well matt john darmayan literally just yeah like but he's still a great drummer yeah BYOB fucking bangs, regardless of if, he, if he's, if he's pro-Republican or not. And that's perfectly okay. Um, I think this speaks to, Chris, and I, I think I spoke to you about this before. I, I think it speaks to the larger division, the bipartisanism that the internet has created. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's this hive mind mentality where you must believe the same things. And division is immediately created by differences of, differences of opinion. When discussion, discourse, and um, and conversation are the best ways to find central middle ground moving forward. Now, if you're in a band and you ex- have a podcast and you express your opinions on stuff, he's not hurting anyone. He's just expressing his opinions. He's not in any political power. He can't act on these things. And all of the fans of the band that he plays with, like, well, I'm not going to listen to your music ever again because you believe in this. How is that going to contribute? How is that going to help drawing a bridge between his fans and him? Isn't that going to strengthen his viewpoint that we are all in these different varied cults and we are all these different divisional um, oppositions based on viewpoint, all this sort of stuff. That's going to feed right into that. And we already do that so often with politics, with race, with class and culture. And social media has accelerated these divisions where it becomes cooler to take the mick or mock someone for having a different opinion than it is to actually talk to them. And we've created this slangy match between the two of them. And I don't think that's remotely helpful to actually getting anything done. 
If I was a massive Deftones fan, I would simply read this, laugh, think you're a moron, and continue to listen to the music. You've got to be able to separate. It's astonishing that you can't. And if you're punishing a guy for having different viewpoints to you, then that's not going to fix the problem with people having those viewpoints. That's not going to work like at all. It just, it just makes no sense to me. Tom Araya is a Catholic. He's the lead singer of Slayer. Yeah. Um, he, when he was asked in an interview, you were Catholic. He was like, yeah. You were raised a Catholic. He was like, yeah. Your parents were Catholic. He was like, yeah. He's like, why did you write an album called God Hates Us All? He said, it's a fucking great title. <laughs> yeah. And it is. If, the, yeah. if, they, if they can separate between the music and the artist from a political standpoint, why the hell can't the fans? The only, if you agree with him politically, you agree with him on vaccines, go join his fucking tinfoil hat <laughs> anti, anti, yeah, anti-vaxxer fucking club and draw fucking 2D circular pictures of the earth and do whatever you do in your spare time. Power to you, whatever. But if you like Deftones, listen to the Deftones, ignore him when he has an interview and move on with your day. I don't understand why anybody has to, well, you have to completely agree with someone on every single point to be on, to be aligned with them. I just, it just makes no sense to me. I think just as you said, this speaks to the larger issue of a large amount of people forgot the concept of having a conversation. And that, yeah, it, it really is as yeah. simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, because when you have a conversation with somebody in like the real world and they say, well, actually, I disagree with you, you can't call them a prick. No. And imagine, 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 imagine if uh, me and you were having a conversation, right? And I said, you know... Um, I think Mbappe is the best football player in the world. And you said, well, actually, I still think it's Messi. And the third man walked over and said, I think it's Ronaldo. Ha, ratioed. And then just left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, I think that person had schizophrenia. That is not how you communicate in the real world. And you've got to share opinions. You've got to find common ground. And, and you've got to move on together. We're all, without getting too sort of like holding hands um, and sort of like, going for world peace, but we are all kind of in this thing together and shouting at each other is never going to work. Um, Israel and Palestine <laughs> never fixed anything through the 60 years of warfare. Neither of, neither of half of Serbia and Eastern Europe and, and, and parts of like Spain and Afghanistan and Iran and all these places in Africa. Conflict has never solved anything and social media is a microcosm of that. If you shout at me for having an opinion... I'm not going to change my opinion because you shouted at me. But if you sit me down and say, well, actually, Sam, did you see this? Did you know this? I might change my view. We might become friends. And that's a better world. But we people don't know how to do that anymore. You're absolutely right. It's saddening and incredibly frustrating. CM Punk made a really great point about Twitter before. He said, Twitter is the open window in my kitchen that I can never close and every fucker can shout in. <laughs> and I mean, That's is it not good. that? I mean, is it not that? Yeah, so, not, not for me and you. Not for me and you. If you're a celebrity, is it not that? It's exactly that. Yeah, you literally can't tweet anything for if you're a celebrity without like people sort of criticising you. It is astonishing. Like I, I don't know how more celebrities don't get into Twitter scraps with people. 
Um, because it's like, you can say something like, you know, I really like red. And then 15 people are like, can't believe he didn't put blue in his yeah, tweet. Yeah, yeah. And it's like astonishing. It's like so much disrespect given to green. Have you always hated green or did you develop it over time? Yeah. And then someone's like, you know, actually I heard in a tweet that he said in 2006 and from his MySpace profile that he actually said he's always hated orange. So click on this to cancel him into hashtag support orange. And that, that's what happens here. It's just, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. He can, he can, the, the guitarist at Deftones, he's daft. He can think daft things. I should name his band Daft Tones, but there is <laughs> there is nothing changing his music uh, because he thinks he fucking lives on a plate. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't make a difference. If anything, explains some of his musical decisions. But apart <laughs> from that, but apart from that, sound. What sound. do you what do you think the worst thing Stephen Carpenter's contributed to society is? Sammy's opinion and Flat Earth or guitar riffs on Deft Tones albums. It's 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 touch and go, but it's actually the third option, which is the amount of people that think White Pound is an all-time great album. Um, <laughs> Can I actually put out that I'm actually really getting into Deftones? Can I say that? But I, you know, just to put that little caveat. All right, in okay. There. As 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 as, as Stephen Carpenter's opinions changed, you're getting into Deftones at all? I couldn't give two shits, mate. As long as he's not hurting anyone, go do your fucking thing, man. I don't care. As long as, yep. like I say, as long as you're not fucking hurting or causing harm to someone. I don't give a fuck what you think. How do you think? And bother me. Cares. Yeah, absolutely. Abs- absolutely. If, if anything, join the Tinfoil Association. Yeah. Make hats. Do parades. Um, just stay at the studio. Just go and get, a, just go and get, go and get on a raft and f- just fall off the edge of the earth, mate. See? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have a look. Have a look. Have a look. Yeah. Go for it. I'm, w- I'm well in. I'm well in. Let's see it. High quality content on this episode of the Noise Podcast. I think we've been uh, talking for 50 minutes. About fucking <laughs> just nonsense bollocks. Um, right, okay. So we are going to move on to album reviews, Sam. Uh, let's start with Can They Be Killed, a new album, Reluctant Hero. It's their second record out on November 20th via Nuclear Blast. Um, Can They Be Killed, for those who aren't familiar, are a metal supergroup uh, formed in 2014, I believe it was. A new album. Uh, Reluctant Hero was recorded secretively. I had no idea this was going on, and that was absolutely purposefully done. Uh, not not to keep it from me, <laughs> but the band purposefully recorded it in secret. You got to get the Killer Be Killed newsletter. No, they didn't. They didn't record. But we're not going to let Chris Pugh know about this. We're just going to record. Must it have fell off the earth on the way to you. <laughs> um, uh, members of Killer Be Killed: uh, Max Cavalera, of course. Uh, former Sepultura guitarist slash vocalist and in Soulfly. Uh, Greg Pisciato from the Ninja Escape Plan, vocalist. Troy Sanders, Mastodon bassist and vocalist. And Ben Collar, uh, he's the Converge drummer. Uh, produced by Josh Wilbur, who did uh, Lamb of God, uh, Megadeth and Gajira. So, I mean, Sam, absolute all-star cast of alternative music here, would you not say? Absolutely, it, it's it's really a um, all star team. Of I mean, talent. literally, it really, literally, really is. Literally, from vocalist down to producer, this is all star cast. This is fucking. Um, this is the NBA. Fucking. What, what is it? The all star? Is it called the all star game? Is it where? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah, this is the NBA all star game for Metal Man. I mean, if you are a 100%. fan of alternative, of, of more so, nineties, alter and early two thousands 
alternative music, obviously Mastodon being the exception because they rose to great fame in the mid-2000s. But if you're a 90s metal fan and right at the start of 2000s, this is your fucking wet dream. This is this lineup together. Completely, completely agreed. Completely agreed. In fact, I was, I listened to it, I pressed play on it and then I started reading and I was like, oh, Oh, yeah. as well. Oh, and yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I I was under the impression at first that it was going to be a another Max Cavalera project with yeah. an assortment of other bands. But reading through, you're absolutely right. The level of talent here is, is tremendous. Now, I, Sam, can hear bits of uh, Velvet Revolver, uh, Alter right. Bridge, Cro-Mags, yep. Strapping Young yep. Lad, uh, yep. Lamb of God. On this, on this record, and usually you'll find me and you on this podcast obsessing over subgenres in metal. A uh, lot of hardcore bands we do album reviews on, a uh, lot of yeah. metalcore bands, a lot of deathcore bands, death metal. But I feel this album, although to call it solely a metal album would be quite minimalistic, I feel like this album absolutely proves there's still a thirst out there for classic heavy metal uh would you agree yeah i think this is uh, honestly this is metal full stop isn't it that that's yeah. the genre wholeheartedly agree um i guess we start going through the track deconstructing self-destruction big thick gajira mastodon sound obviously yeah, makes sense that, make makes sense that obviously troy is leading the proceedings he's got that classic groove metal i really <laughs> like this album sam I think it's really good. I think it's really good. I think um, I think I expected it to be exceptional, though. Right. I think and I, because you, you just look at the you look at the talent. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's really 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 good. Don't get me wrong. This is this was never going to be disappointing. Uh, I think it's I think it's a really collect, great collection of talent. I think there's some nice riffs on here. I think there's some really sensational choruses. And I want to talk to you about who you would think the MVP of this album is. Oh, I'm interested because I've put one that I thought I, that's going to surprise Sam when I pick this person. But we won't do that yet. Carry on. All right. But um, I think that really... <sighs> I was surprised. I was surprised at the, 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 uh, a few things. I was surprised number one, actually. I think the vocal sharing thing really works. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I, and I didn't expect that to take place at all. I thought they would do songs each. Yeah. But there's a, there's a real collaborative, I'll take a verse, you take a chorus, I'll take a verse, and then we all get the fuck out of the way while Max Cavalera takes over the breakdown sort of vibe. And I, and I enjoyed that because they're all contributing um, what their strengths are. Um, I haven't heard a lot of Dillinger Escape Plan, um, but their vocalist is tremendous based on this evidence. Um, he's a really good singer. Um, but like I said, I really, exp- I think this is 10 or 12. I can't remember how many tracks this is. Every single song is 7 out of 10. I don't think there's a standout, outrageously great song where this really, really works. I think... I think Dream Gone Bad is the highlight for me. I think that's the best song on the album, personally. Um, I think combining Max as the guttural guy really, really works. But um, the Mastodon vocalist is carries that song. 
And I think that's, that's really terrific. I think that's where it works the best personally. I think his voice suits that, the sort of types of riffing that they're doing. But I think overall, it's a really, really good album. Really, really good album. I like, I like left to center. The chord works really be nice. Um, I really like in a calm out of storms. I love the drumming show. I love the, the sort of feeling of ambience and stuff like that with the song. Um, I like from a crowded wound. It's got like chunky sort of riff work and the Alice in Chains type of feels really good. Um, but I think overall, it's that's it. it. I don't think it gets out of third gear, really. I think it's a good album with some good songs. But the talent level is great. But I don't think the production quite matches that in terms of the actual output. I don't think there's a superstar song on here. I don't think... Um, I just don't think there's a transcendent moment that I expected when looking through the people that have put this um, put this record together. I think I'm ever so slightly more into this than you. I, I'd give every track a 7.5. Um, okay, that's fair. I think, even though I referred to this album as metal at the start, and it is very much um, a combination of what you would refer to as classic heavy metal, I feel like I've described this album as one tracked or one pace, which really is not the case at all. Um, if you pick up on Dream Gone Bad, your favourite song, mate, that sludgy pace change in that track really, really changes the formation. Um, then you've got like Inner Calm from Out of Storms, which is like, it turns into like a legit hardcore slash punk track, just as Greg's vocals come in, which obviously makes complete sense considering his Dillinger Escape plan. Uh, Filthy Vagabond, same kind of opening. And then it gets completely reinvented by Troy's vocals and that chant chorus with the wow-ows. Uh, never let you settle down because then the riff starts slamming down and chugging. Then the solo then the solo comes in. And I, I do believe it's worth mentioning that the guitars on this record are produced fucking phenomenally. Um, yeah, I highly agreed. And Josh Wilbur's production. I know that you referred to the. You said when you were talking, the production isn't as good as the potential. I think you were referring to the actual quality of the songs and not yes, the production job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The production think, job itself is fantastic. Yeah, it is. I was going to say, sure, it's mean the actual production job because the production job by Josh Wilbur is is really excellent here. Um, I've got to the part now where I would like to discuss uh, the MVP. Um, I went for Ben Collar, drummer. I think that's an interesting choice. Do you want to? I'd like so, to elaborate. I I feel that in terms of picking apart what each member does individually in their uh, normal occupation, Ben Collar has been given the job that is most different to what would be his nine to five in Converge, because in Converge. He's absolutely focused on this ravaging pace and power that, like, really, like, props up Jacob Bannon's fucking, like, chest-tearing vocals and this, like, really classic extreme metal, metalcore sound that converge really just absurd, absurdly mastered uh, in, the, in the early 2000s. Whereas Ben Collar here is much more powerful and much more precise uh, and that seven minute song from a crowded from a crowded wound has got him hammering in this really like fucking like dartboard harsh drum beat down and actually i'd say that he services every song with exactly what it needs um and i and i feel like he is the component because because he is the ever-present component 
I feel like his role is the most vital because because of the ever changing vocalist. They can very that they, they can very like it, when they when they're doing the demos and pre production. It's like right, okay, this chorus isn't really working. This way, oh, okay, we'll get Greg to do this then. Or Max, can can you just hammer down this chorus one more time? Re- rearrange it a little bit differently, mate. Ben's the drummer. Ben carries the entire backbone. Um, obviously, with you saying that you felt that was an interesting choice, you've gone for someone else. Um, yes. Now that I've made my statement um do you see where i'm coming from oh absolutely i think that's a great choice um i think he he's a terrific drummer he's done he's an incredible job on this album uh, i think it's troy sanders right okay he is great i mean he's brilliant troy sanders is yeah excellent I, I just i just think that every time he starts singing the the, the song takes a takes on a different level yeah every every time every chorus he's mainly involved with I'm like, oh yeah, how sick a mastodon! That's yeah, every, yeah. I thought. My, every time I hear his voice, I, I'm just like, like this album has made you want to go back and listen to Mastodon again. Like I'm like, shit, I need to go back and re-listen to Crack the Sky and Leviathan because those two, the two or three albums I produced in that period of time were just fantastic. Um, but I think his ability here. To take now, I've got nothing against the other guys. I think the dangerous escape plan focus is very good, but at times it can be a little bit nasal. I think Max Cavalera has one speed, yeah, yeah, and that's Max Cavalera. And it's very clear that he was used as like a change of pace, like a sort of like a 60th minute substitution sort of thing when he comes in and sort of changes the nature of the song and sort of goes back out. But I think when Troy Sanders sings, like if you, I, I just I just think it really just elevates the songs, I think it's. I really, I really think I just see him as the MVP. I just think he's an absolutely tremendous vocalist and by far uh, the best vocal compa- uh, vocal contributor on this album. When he comes in on Dream Gone Bad, yeah, I think it's just absolutely superb. And the same on Left of Centre. When he's the central figure in the songs, I think that's where the album's at its best. Um, and it's clear that he has the most um, sort of, I'm not saying like input, not necessarily the right way, because I don't necessarily know how the songwriting shook out, but I think he, he's, he gives the songs his greatest contribution from a, in a vacuum than anybody else. I just think he gives them that extra lift and that extra boost. And like I said, uh, the songs where he takes a back seat, I'm not as interested in. The songs where he is the central figure, I really, really enjoy. I think what I love, and you, you, to be fair, mate, you've made a great point there, and Troy is superb on this album. But I, th- I think what I love about this album is that its variety never becomes the proverbial kitchen sink, right? Like, mm-hmm. Because there's so many moving parts, and although uh, Max Cavalera, Troy Sanders, Greg Prisciato, they're all from alternative music. The bands don't sound anything like each other. If you refer to Max Cavalera as former Sepultura guitarist vocalist, Sepultura don't really sound a lot like Mastodon. Mastodon don't sound anything like the Ninja Escape Plan. So really, this could have sounded like like the kitchen sink. It'd just be a fucking mess. But the way that it's been written to get to get all these, you know, it's kind of like the fucking Avengers, right? Like Infinity War, my favorite superhero film of all time. Like 
everyone gets the right amount of time. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy, they, yes. they're not disservice. They get, they get the right amount of screen time. They get exactly the right amount of screen time, just as much as the Winter Soldier is given the right amount of screen time in that film. And it's, and, and I feel like kind of the same here. And as you get towards the end of the record, it kind of sticks out more because you've had this like really like thundering heavy metal record. And then Animus is a 67 second fucking punk song. <laughs> and I'd imagine that must have been law. Lar- I don't know what the writing price is like, similar to yourself, but I would have to imagine that was largely written by Greg. Um, and that fucking yeah. fury, 67 seconds of a classic punk. Fascinating to hear like these musicians in that kind of, uh, landscape uh, I think it's amazing uh, Dead Limbs the first 40 seconds of that song is it's probably the best sepulture be- the best thing sepulture I've done in 10 years <laughs> I know obviously I, I mean that in the sense of like obviously Max Cavalera obviously is former but that that 40 seconds of Dead Limbs you could convince me is a sepulture track and that would definitely be better than anything I've done in the last 10 years not to be uh, too disparaging uh, to the current lineup of Sepultura, which I do like, but obviously you, you're comparing it to fucking Chaos ID and it's just, it's just not there. Um, then it turns into a bit like this fucking Deftones epic, which is bookended by this 90s thrash vibe. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking here for it, man. I, I, I really love the title track that closes the, the album as well. That slow, methodical note that hadn't been present on the record up to that point. I think it fucking works really well. Uh, the whole record has got this really stiff upper lip and then this closing song, such a different epic tale. Um, excellent. I, I really, really like this. Um, I, I agree with you that there's not an absolute standout stargazing what a moment for metal this year song on the album. It's a group of 7.5 out of 10. But if you're a metal fan, it's an absolute must listen. Is it not? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's an incredibly enjoyable listen. And this is a great sort of driving gym album. It's such a powerful thumping record. Um, really well produced, really well put together. And here's the thing is if kill or be killed were not these members and they just came out of nowhere, I think I'd be like, this is great. Where are these? Well, yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. Um, but I just think with the, the names attached, I was expecting, I'm not expecting roots, um, but like I would have expected, I don't know. I wanted a nine out of ten track here or something. Really to be like that's that's why they all came together. Um, but other than that, I think it's a perfectly perfectly enjoyable and serviceable record that justifies the talent put into it. And I think that's that's good enough. Going to close off album reviews for I interview two members of Palm Raider, that being uh, Andy and Sam. Uh, we're going to finish off on Palm Reader's Sleepless. Um, it's a band's fourth full-length album, uh, available on November 27th via Church Road Records. Um, I have been aware of Palm Reader pretty much since their debut record, Bad Weather, came out back in 2013. Um, I think one of the interesting things to point out here before we go into detail on the album, and I do discuss this with them in the interview, they've changed with pretty much every album. Um, in terms of sonically, I would argue the version of Palm Reed that we're discussing about in 2020 doesn't really share an overwhelming amount of similarities musically to the one that released Braille in 2018. Um, I mean, they've got balls of steel, Palm Reader have, because they'll make this creative decision and just fucking go for it. Uh, They're a band that I've got a lot of admiration for because they are one of those bands they have had to really fight for every single fan that they've got, you know, 
they're hardly the poster childs of hardcore. I mean, then to call Parmaid a hardcore is is a, is a really, really loose, thin statement. They're much more than just a hardcore mm. band. But just to relate them to one drama, just to make my point, you know, they're, they're not the poster childs of hardcore. They're nowhere near the size of, like, Knocked Loose or, or even Malevolence, you know. If you consider Underground Hardcore, me and you, the first band we'd think of is Malevolence, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and he, you know, Palm Raider, they, you know, they're not even that level. I saw Palm Raider, uh, last time I saw them play was when they supported Blood Youth uh, in uh, Mama Roos in Birmingham. I supported with Lotus Eater as well. So I've got loads of respect and admiration for Palm Raider. They just keep cracking on and they, they do this absolutely as a passion project. And, you know, they believe in what they're writing. They've got this, you know, this creative endeavor that they want to change. With every with every album, and I, I can see why some people refer to Palm Rangers as a hardcore band, and there's definitely some of those elements in everything the band have ever done. But I do feel like referring to them as as one genre is incredibly uh, short sighted. Sam, um, forgive me for trying to predict your own experiences here, but I'm assuming this is the first time you ever listened to a Palm Raider album. Yeah, it was. That's a fair assumption, mate. Right. So. The hopscotching of creative decisions and uh, genres the band have been in wouldn't have been made aware to you. How how did this album strike you? I really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah, Bucking um, great. I, thought... I, I will say sorry, but I will let you go after I say this. This no, is no, my fa- this is my favorite album they've ever done. I, I, I'm really really into this. Please continue. I can I could utterly understand why. Um... This, this is a, I mean, this is a compliment, but if it annoys you, I'm very sorry. Um, this is what I wanted Loath to sound like. This is what I wanted Touche right. Amore to sound like. I see. Okay. Do you know when I envisage in my head what this emotive, metal, atmospheric type music sounds like? In my yeah, head. Okay, yeah. The working version of it is this. Yeah, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so where I think this is, is really terrific is it combines some terrific musicianship, some really nice riff work that doesn't, that doesn't overload the album. So the riffs aren't the central figure of what, what's going on here, but it's a lovely balance between the vocal stylings, the lyrics and the actual musicianship itself. I think the first three songs to this are just superb. I think it comes out the gates fantastically. Hold release immediately had me thinking of Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, just a bit heavier, with that raspy, shouted vocal that yeah. sort of c- combines that Cockney type vibe to his um, to his singing style. I'm not sure they're from London, but I, I'm just I got that impression in terms of like some of the, the the way that he uttered his phrases and things like that. There was a real dystopia to the the atmosphere as well that I that I enjoyed. I think Stay Down was immediately sort of heavy thudding aggressive gallows-esque i started to hear at that point and then ending ending cycle was like oh this is what what if uh death of honor would have sounded like if they stayed uh, if they went deeper and darker rather than lighter and more mainstream if they'd have taken that direction sort of 2007 8 because it combines this real awareness of pop melody but with a real darkness and subterfuge and atmosphere as well and I think overall the album is, is is really really nice. I love 
Um, Burning Its Feathers um, is actually the closest I'll get to Deftones while still enjoying it because it has that <laughs> Deftones riff punch. Do you know what I mean, though? The way yeah, the yeah, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the massive vocals atop, I'm like, this is close enough to Deftones but further enough away for me to actually enjoy it. And that's good. Um, but I, I like the juxtaposition between the clean vocals and the heaviness there. I love I love um, guitar interludes, so I loved Islay or Islay. Yeah. I'm not too sure how to, how to pronounce that. I thought that was ethereal. I thought it was dark. I thought Full Thirst was a lovely, understated song, and the highlight of the album so far. And after that, it does take a dip for me. I will say, I think love that Tevers is nice and heartfelt, and both ends of the rope seems to have. By the end of the album, they seem to have decided on a formula and sort of gone back to it. But the first six tracks, I think, are superb. I think it's heartfelt, emotive, but it's also not so heartfelt that I find myself um, wincing a little bit. But it's also not so heavy that I feel like that's been deliberately shoved down my throat. It's a lovely balance of those two things. Now, over th- overall... I think it's a really well-produced, well-put-together album that I've been very impressed by and really enjoyed. I, I, You alluded to it when you were talking about Ending Cycle. Ending Cycle, I think, is the best song the band have ever written. Uh, the chorus on that is absolutely massive. Huge. And I've, never heard, I've never heard them be able to pull off that kind of emotive scope before. Um, and, and, mate, right off the bat... This album has got a motive scope. Hold release mm-hmm. is a track detailing the issues with how men can be perceived in toxic masculinity. Now, I was I mentioned to you I was like oh, an absolute shout out to the band and uh, PR for sending us the lyrics uh, to about to to this album. By the way, yeah, uh, we, always we, nice we, to get those. Absolutely. Now I messaged you. I was like, dude, you got to read the lyrics to this album as you're listening to it um, because it will really, really help. With, with the perspective as you listen to it now yeah, palm reader Re- Re- on a death metal band and it's not like unintelligible you, you, you can kind of you, you can make out what the vocalist josh is singing most of the time but with the lyrics in front of you and i was reading this track about how men can be perceived and in the job that i'm in where it's really important to have like really broad shoulders and be able to deal with everything like I was, I was reading the lyrics of this track, and I was like, "Holy shit, man! This is like, this is really intelligent, and really, I draw real distinct lines with some of the things that are being discussed here." Um, Stay down, you mentioned it, really draws on those kind of math rock vibes for me, like kind of early employed to serve, which is obviously sick. Employed to serve are amazing. Uh, the pace and punch combo works really well for this band. Um, I really love the clean riffs that ends that ends the track underneath the chaos. I think Palm Reader are almost, are almost as good as Counterparts at doing that. You know, when Counterparts just took a clean, like flickering riff in the middle of like a breakdown or a really hard, like punching part of the song. Yeah, Palm Reader are fucking amazing at doing that. Um, the, and the band's variety, and specifically Josh McKeon's vocals, is shown in Willow. Like that kind of creeping, slippery, aching love tale, like that quickly descends into that kind of like post hard rock beat. Really fucking great songwriting. Yeah, how many bands have you heard that have been able to write a record where a piano sounds as at home as a low tuned riff? I think False Thirst is fucking gorgeous. I, I agree. Uh, that and 
that and of a completely blank to the song that you mentioned that was the best song I've ever written. Ending cycle. Ending ending cycle. Yeah, that, uh, thank you. Full Slurs and Ending Cycle, the two huge highlights of this album. And it's really the development of the songwriting, the the expanse of that, that that allows them to sort of transcend to that point um, where they are, the highlights of this album. Because a simple hardcore album here would be perfectly acceptable from, from, from a band of, of Palm Readers Burgeon in size, but they've decided to go into this more expansive, thoughtful, introspective direction, and it's massively worked. I even, even at times, um, with the sort of some of the, the layered riff work and some of the, um, the sort of high pitched vocals and things sort of working together, I even got like a sort of little bit of periphery in terms of the way that the riffs were sort of layering at the end of some of these songs and sort of rotated between huge choruses and stuff. And I, I, I think some of the, the work here is really, really, really good. This is a really layered album uh, with real depth and expansion. And I think this version of Palm Reader has a massively higher ceiling yeah. than a simple hardcore version of them that would have existed, probably, assume, I assume, in the previous albums. Just dropping back to lyrical content, did you briefly alluded to it? Did they make a difference to your listening experience? Because they, 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 yeah, really, they really did for me. It, it did. It did. It opened, it opened me up to the idea that how introspective and philosophical they were as a band. I like some of the phrases. I like some of the the sort of the the language uses and the the ideas that they were they were putting across were simply more complex than the ones you would typically associated with metal releases in general. Um. And yeah, I, I think for me, it just sort of underlines that this band are taking a more academic and more um, enlightened view of their own content and their own um, songs rather than just finding lines, mantras to be released that would fit the, fit the songs the best. It was, it was nice. It was, it was a, a refreshing read, to be honest. On my first listen of the album, where I didn't have the lyric sheet in front of me, I already knew that it was going to be my favourite album that they'd done. Because, you know, obviously, I, I could just tell. I could just tell the level of songwriting had taken another step up. But when you dive into the lyrics and the thematic story between each, behind each track, uh, for me, it really changed the perspective of the record. And I really don't think anyone should listen to this album without having the lyrics in front of them at some point. Obviously, first listen whatever but at some point you should listen to this album with the lyrics in front of you because they're they're really fucking intelligent and they really give like an, a really important level of backstory uh what i will say i agree with you the, fir- the first the first half of the record for me is stronger there's absolutely not a bad track on the album like or, or under no circumstances there are a bad song on here but the, the the quality does just start descending a little bit for me slightly after false thirst uh, but there's so yeah, much emotion fair. so much emotion and storytelling just fucking dripped all over this album if you just press shuffle i don't think you'd be disappointed in anything you come across you know no, what i mean there's, there's that much story behind each track and there's always there's something to be intrigued by you, you i just don't think you'd be disappointed at all um i've liked palm reader just to finish off for me i've liked palm reader since i had them seven years ago i've liked everything they've done this is the first album where they've done something that I feel was fucking great. This album is absolutely great. Um, harsh, varied, emotional, interesting, intelligent, pretty much 
everything I want from an album. Um, really fucking great. This, I'm really happy for them. And I hope it, um, you know, mate, you know, what? Palm Reader are probably never going to be not loose. Um, but I think this opens up a door where there could be one of those legacy hardcore bands that are talked about in years to come where it's like, well, they were never massive. They were a real, like, um, they're a real like kind of Easter egg of a band. Like you're lucky to find them, but if you did find them, oh, what a fucking, what a find. You know what I mean? Yeah. Great. And that finishes off episode 53 of the Noise Podcast, just as my interview with Sam and Andy from the band is about to come in right now. So uh, we are going to be back in two weeks time and we're getting right towards album of the year episode territory here. In fact, the episode that we do in two weeks could possibly be our last before we do our album of the year episode. Will the album of the year episode come in the form of video? Um, it is looking doubtful, isn't it, Sam? Um, yeah, unfortunately it is. Yeah. It's not absolutely confirmed, but it's really starting to look quite doubtful. Uh, the album of the year will be filmed obviously, and that's due to lockdown and that kind of thing. So I suppose with that one, in two weeks, Sam, if we haven't got an idea of... I suppose in two weeks' time, if lockdown is extended to January, then we're recording um, Album of the Year through normal audio, which would be a disappointment, but that's, I guess that's just the way it is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. If, um, if we can't... Because obviously Wales are going through more even more stringent lockdown procedures than we are currently. Yeah. Or at least, ha- at least have been in the last few weeks. So, yeah, if we can't get out during the school holidays and make a visit and do a full video, then we'll have to do it online. Or maybe maybe in the early portion of New Year, you could come around my house and we could do it socially distanced that way. In some, if we're allowed to, you know, visit each other in bubbles and things like that. But yeah, we we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. But the, it's it's as fluid as the situation is, obviously. Yeah, uh, we will keep our fingers crossed for the time being. My interview with Sam and Andy from Palm Reader comes up right now. We will be back in two weeks' time. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening on. Every subscription means the absolute world to us. We'll be back in two weeks. Hope you enjoy my Chris Meets interview. We love you. Bye. So now you're joined by Andy and Sam of Palm Reader. Lads, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Tonight, how are we? All right. I've got COVID, so that's cool. Yeah, you know what? I was, I was, I was actually going to mention this. Um, uh, is it yourself that runs the Twitter account? Because I thought I saw someone mention that, uh, that, that, that they're testing positive. And I thought, oh, mate, I mean, I can think of many difficult things to do with your evening, but speaking to me when you're already ill, Holy shit. I can't think of anything worse. It's not that bad. I just can't smell anything. Right, okay. So you're just like, you're not crawled up in bed, struggling to breathe nah, and stuff like nah, that. Nah. I, had like, I had like a 24-hour thing, but after that, it's just walking around and I can't smell. Right, okay. I mean, to be fair, if you were crawled up in bed, um, struggling, and you still did a music interview, press interview at least, I'd be quite impressed. Impro- I think I'd be overly worried about your commitment to the role, actually. <laughs> um, That's all right. I guess, you know, it probably makes sense um, for me to point out that, I mean, I've been on the Palm Reader train since uh, probably 2013, I reckon. Uh, I think I probably stumbled across you one of the old school Spotify playlists. Um, And and speaking of of the first record, you generally find that 
bands look back on their first record once you nearly four albums and you look back on uh, your first record which was of course bad weather and you would some bands like kind of scoff at the first record in the sense of like look how much we've moved on since then but for yourselves because your sound has changed with pretty much every record you've ever put out is that less of an issue for you because bad weather sounds unlike anything else you've ever released in a sense so do you do you look back on that record as its own entity and not something that should ever be compared to anything else? I think uh, every time there's a new release, uh, you automatically want people to uh, treat that as the most accurate representation of yeah. the band. Um, I, I wouldn't say that we necessarily scoff at bad weather, but... Um, I th- uh, it, not, it, not in his it, face, anyway. No, no, no. Just talk about it behind his back. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I think it's 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 uh, it's it's a good snapshot of where we were at that time. I think it uh, it makes makes sense. I think as to as to where we were and who we were at that yeah. point. It was. I mean, I, the, the album was sort of born out of we, we uh, were initially we were just going to record an EP and yeah. then that then turned into an album quite rapidly and I think uh, that is evident yeah obviously and you kind of alluded to it there bad weather is kind of isolated in a sense isn't it from all your other albums <laughs> but actually theoretically you could say that about every other record you've done so i think actually mate the way you just described it there uh, makes perfect sense right in the sense of maybe you don't scoff at it but when was it do you remember the last time you played a song from it in a set list like I'm, obviously it's been a while now because live shows aren't happening but it like it, it is a general concept well it wasn't in march and those are the only shows we played this year so right i at least we haven't played anything apart from Noble Host for quite a while, yeah. um, just because it hasn't really sort of fit the bill, so to speak, especially like with the stuff on Braille. Um, yeah. So it's, it's getting harder and harder to make those songs sound like not relevant, but relevant in context with the, the sort of stuff we're doing. We've been doing for like the last five years. Um, it's a, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a swimmer that's kind of getting swept out to sea. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much for your whole career, you've remained like a real integral part of the ethos of what underground music really is and what it always should be. Uh, which to me suggests that the inner workings of the band has never really changed. Uh, am I am I far off there, or am I pretty close? say that's that's relatively accurate i mean we we do have a sort of a process that uh over time has sort of developed and evolved somewhat but it's um it's it's really been sort of pretty much the same since day one uh sometimes to our detriment um a lot of the time well some other time to our advantage um but yeah the the process is uh we're still sort of figuring it out i mean even ten years in, it, it it changes every album. It's sort of there's a there's a new thing each each time round. When you say uh, to your detriment, um, would that be along the lines of the 
trying to create with using the same mindset and the same backdrops every two years becomes a real challenge as time goes on? Uh, not necessarily that. Um, I think it's just, just uh, I think we uh, sometimes focus, I, th I think we can get too caught up in uh, sometimes sort of the minutiae and the nuances of what we're trying to do rather than sort of the, bit, the bigger picture. And um, that can sometimes uh, draw things to a, a, a bit of a halt. Mm. And I think that slows, slows things down sometimes. Um, but, you know, I, I think it initially happened with, uh, earlier on. Uh, it, we were sort of tripping over ourselves a bit more than we are now. Um, I think we've got a little bit more confidence in what we do. Mm. Kind of figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sorry go on no I was just going to say like, rather than just like flailing, flailing around in the dark we've kind of because we've been together for too long I didn't yeah. say that out loud but um, <laughs> uh, we've kind of uh, we've, we've figured out what we're supposed what we're supposed to be doing and like how we're supposed to be going about it rather yeah. than just potluck I'm not going to sit here and, and slight the current state of the music industry because you know it is what it is oh, however no, <laughs> well, well. I mean, I've got I've got a lot to slide, but um, as a general idea, and please correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, my, my research has suggested that um, you've got as a band, you've got other sources of income, um, and that Palm Reader isn't your sole source of, of finance. Um, in a way, uh, does has that always helped keep like Palm Reader fresh because it's like the, the best second job in the world, kind of thing. I'd love to say it was a job. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, uh, I think, like, I think some, something that does go in our in our favour is that because we are still um, very much uh, worker bees, we aren't sort of just completely all consumed by Palm Reader and its goings ons. Um, I think it would be cool like if that were the case, but I think it definitely kind of like keeps us grounded and, and doesn't allow us to kind of just go, oh, well, we just do the, just do the palm reader formula and write some more music because that's all we really know how to do, which a lot of bands fall into that trap. They're just full-time bands, especially that just tour relentlessly and then just play their music and it just becomes all they do and they can't kind of break away from it. Um, I think by, being quote unquote real world people, um, we are subject to a lot more um, sort of like genuine experiences that um, maybe bands that tour full time just don't get to have. I, th I think we're we're a lot less afraid of uh, potentially uh, sort of uh, thwarting or ostracising any audience we might have by taking a slightly different creative yeah. path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's 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 not you know it's not how I pay the mortgage. It, 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 so I think that that definitely gives us a bit more freedom. Certainly, I'm really glad you said that uh, because your uh, creative and conceptual bravery uh, is one of the things that has always really drawn me to the band. And because your records, as we've mentioned, tend to go in slightly or sometimes 
quite strongly, different directions with each new release. Just curious if you could break down for me what the demo process looks like. You know, how are the original concepts discussed? Uh, is it um, kind of light switch moment for someone? And then like, guess what, lads? I've had this unbelievable idea. Or is it more of a let's sit down and discuss? How does it work as a general idea? Um, I, I wish I could show you the bin that all our ideas that didn't make <laughs> like, ended up on the cutting room, cutting room floor uh, yeah. ended up in because it's a uh, there's some there's some shit. In there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it looks like the floor of a house party. Awesome. <laughs> um, I think quite often um, we some songs come together really quickly and really naturally. Uh, on this record, whole release um, came together in a day and a bit, maybe the bulk of it, anyways. And then, um, like False Thirst and uh, both ends of the rope were a m several months long labour yeah. because we just couldn't find the right way to. I don't know. One of the problems we often have is how do you start a song? How do you finish a song? Yeah, <clears throat> um, it's. It's it's really easy to to kind of like jump in the middle and go that's the verse and there's the bit and then the chorus. So how do we start it? Because you know, um, there's a there's a lot of discussions and a lot of trial and error. Um, uh, might, like I said, most of it gets thrown in the bin because we'll listen to it back and go that sounds like this band or that's super cheesy or that's just outright crap. Um, but the um. Apart from that, like the demo process is normally Sam and I will knock our heads together and then riffs happen, bring it to the table, and then between the two of us and Josh, for the most part, we'll craft a song and then it sort of gradually gets fleshed out. Yeah. If we just move forward a little to the to after the release of Braille, I remember reading about you headlining uh, Boston Music Room, playing the recording fall. I was really happy for you. If I lived in London, I would have... I've you know, done everything I could have possibly done uh, to have been there. Um, in, the aftermath, in the immediate aftermath, like I'm talking like you've just walked off stage of that show, was it a feeling of, if that's as high as we ever go, we'll take it and that was amazing? Or was it like, that was amazing and now we want to go and find the next venue size up? Uh, a bit of, I'd say a little bit of both. Uh, we did, um, we were lucky enough to do Brixton with um glass jaw of course yeah in august yeah um, which was just uh wild yeah um amazing experience but um yeah definitely definitely still on the hunt for for bigger and better um i think that kind of was pretty much the end of like as far as we could really push braille um what was it under 2018 yeah i think it um, was yeah i think it was yeah yeah, so we, I mean, we did had um, I think did, we did we did a handful of um, headline shows like in 2019, but sort of like the tail end of I mean after summer in 2019's kind of braille, we can really kind of go and fish new waters um, on that record, which we were hoping to uh, this year with this record, which hasn't happened. Yeah, which is cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know. Um, but yeah, we'll be, um, I think we'll be looking to, to do more stuff live. Um, especially with the, uh, the 
live stream we just recorded and having uh, additional elements um, thrown in the mix is something we very much want to do live as well. Mm. If I, I can, sorry, oh, sorry, Sam, I wasn't sure. I didn't know you were going to speak then, please, Mike, go on. No, it was just um, with, with regards to sort of like moving up a venue size, it's just, I think we've spent a lot of time playing very sort of small venues and uh, getting a taste of, you know, like Brixton. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we, we'd like to play in venues that sort of reflect um, the, the, the grandeur that we're trying to sort of create sonically. I think it would be, yeah. it seems like a more appropriate venue for that kind of thing, especially like with what Andy said with additional elements, you know, it makes far more sense rather than playing a 100 cap venue under a car park somewhere. Well, that again uh, links perfectly into the next thing I wanted to discuss because uh, I, haven't, I haven't even mentioned Sleepless yet somehow in this interview. Um, I mean, referring back to my own personal taste, I've liked everything that Palm Raider has ever done, but Sleepless is the first record that you've done that I've ever outrightly loved. Um, you know, there's a, there's a level of heart and character in this album that I've never heard you guys hit before for my personal taste. Mm. What the vibe during the recording process as you were creating the record, did you pick up on what this record was becoming? It's kind of like gaping open to interpretation, like storybook. Um, you know, was it or was it kind of hard to tell that kind of thing in the moment, and you only realised that looking back now? I think about two weeks into it, we kind of went, "Oh, this is a." This yeah. is becoming a real thing. Yeah. It's the same, same with every time I've been in the studio. You, you kind of go in and you go, I know how the things, songs sound in my head. And then it takes like, it takes a little while for things to get down on tape. And then you can kind of sit back and go, oh, okay, that's how the record sounds. And uh, yeah, I think about two weeks in, we went, oh, this sounds much, much bigger than we ever thought it would do especially sort of being at middle farm and you sort of you look around and you go oh this well we're 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 doing this no oh, yeah this, this is a proper thing now it's mm. uh, yeah has it been like the biggest laborious pain in the arse in the world for you to have to sit on this record for us although i was saying that you sat on braille for ages didn't you as well braille yeah. you'd recorded <laughs> well well in, well in advance so i guess uh you know, does does that is that how it works for you guys? You know, you sit on a record and that's for a while before it's released, and that's how you like to work. Not ideally, but um, I think at this point we're pretty well versed in patience. Right. I'm assuming these things are outside of your control. Uh, what is what you're referring to? Uh, I, I, I won't press too hard there. Hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, right. Okay. My like bad weather came out four months what may four months after we recorded it which is mental um and then uh beside the ones we love was um delayed so it ended up being almost a year and a half right i think so that was that was painful really really painful and then i mean Braille wasn't Braille wasn't too long i don't think i was came it was almost a year actually saying that i think by may to i was a year yeah 
Well, I, I remember reading an interview with you somewhere, and this was just after Brad had come out, and I can't, I can't remember who the interview was with, uh, but wh- whoever it was with was like, oh, we're already writing for the next record, like we just started a couple of weeks ago. And, and the interviewer was like, what, how? <laughs> but, and then the response was like, well, actually, Braille's been written for ages. So, because the length of time it's taken to get Braille out, we're already ready to now start writing again, which I, at that, which I thought was interesting. But obviously, how you just described it to me, with these things sometimes being out of your control, all of a sudden, that makes a whole lot of sense now. I mean, it's like, when, when it's been, you get the final makes and master back, you want it to be out, like... I don't know. Like, you kind of want like a couple of weeks just to keep it to yourself. Say, this is this is my child. Don't touch. Yeah. But then, like, you just want to go right now. Everyone else has to listen to it, but it never works out. It never works out like that. I mean, it's funny you brought that up because thinking about it, we recorded Braille in like May, June, twenty seventeen, which means we must have been writing it from autumn twenty sixteen. Yeah, which is only like a year after beside the ones we love came out, and yet. It's a three-year gap between, but I guess we don't see it like that because nah, we're just yeah. in the mix and writing it. I guess it would be different this time round, obviously, because normally you've got, like you say, you've got that period where you're waiting on an album, but you know you're going to be playing shows and those songs are going to be out there and you're going to be playing them. Whereas this time round, there is a huge amount of uncertainty, and like normally we'd be, you know, we'd be we'd be gearing up to play shows and doing stuff but that's not a thing now so it's uh it, yeah it's, a, it's bizarre. bizarre i'm aware thing. i'm aware that the clock is uh is starting to tick against us a little bit here uh, so i've luckily for you i've only got a few more questions um what what i think one of the greatest examples of, of what palm reader has achieved is that the last time i saw you play was at uh, mama ruse in birmingham and you played with blood youth and lotus eater which you know you, Blood Youth and Lotus Eater are three bands that, although you're kind of in the same remit, really you sound absolutely nothing like each other. However, Palm Reader kind of fits on any bill, really. I, I really do feel like, within reason, Palm Reader could, could generally su- support or headline amongst pretty much any list of hardcore etc. bands. How proud are you that you can traverse across pretty much any lineup within alternative music within reason well we are the little black dress of the music industry (laughs) (laughs) uh it's it's it is pretty cool um because we can it does mean we can play with bands like uh wallflower and then uh bands like conjurer yeah which is you know that's there's not a huge number of bands that can say that, um, honestly, but it's, I don't know, it's, it, it, it is pretty cool. Um, so, and it's a really unique position to be in because we yeah. can tour with anyone pretty much. Yeah. I, I think for a long time we were, we were quite intent on sort of, uh, you know, we've, we've always been described as a, by a lot of people as a hardcore band, but we've, we've been pretty adamant about, not being described as such for a while not yeah. because we don't like hardcore but we just feel like we're, we're, we're just not and we, we're, we're not really uh that concerned with the, the the genre of music that people think we're writing i think it's uh mm. quite intent on just creating good music 
Well, I think if anyone listens to Sleepless and, and refer, refers to it as simply a hardcore record, they they just haven't listened, have they? Because yeah. I mean, there are elements of hardcore in it, of course, but you know, to refer to it as simply a hardcore record or to refer to Palm Raider as simply a hardcore band just suggests that they don't really listen, to be honest. Because I just don't see how you would come to that sole summation that of you are just a hardcore band or that is just a hardcore record. Um, Sleepless specifically very much looks at perspectives outside of uh, your own as individuals. Um, the, for me, what I've picked up is that's the lesson of the whole record to consider perspective before judgment. Um, do you think that's fair to say? I mean, obviously the record's open to interpretation anyway, but do you think that's a fair analysis from myself? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think this record lyrically, uh, whilst it, like you say, it's it's quite broad in its scope. At the same time, I think it, uh, it feels the most personal at the same time. But then I think that because it's so broad it takes into account a lot of people's situations and it, you know i think it's it's easy for more people to kind of connect with i think it's open to more interpretation just to finish off lads and i appreciate your time more than you could possibly know um eight years plus into the grind by this point do you feel like fundamentally, um, part 10, good Lord, <laughs> do you feel like, uh, I, well, I guess I thought eight because I, I caught on to you in 2013, so I, I'll give myself a bit of a, a, bit of a leeway there. Um, do, do you feel like fundamentally Palm Reader are the same band personality-wise as at the start? Um, has there been wholesale changes for better or worse? We are the same idiots that... <laughs> From the idiots that brought you bad weather, uh, comes sleepless. <laughs> Amazing! Amazing! Um, like uh, now we we have uh, we haven't really changed uh, personally. I don't think the the dynamic like is naturally going to shift over time. But we're still Sam's the funny one. I'm the OCD one. Like Dan's usually asleep. Like it's <laughs> like, like as, as characters and how we interact with each other, it's kind of like it, it's hasn't really changed over the decade. <laughs> um, I just just like think that like because because of our collective um, like life experiences and so on, it's kind of reflects in the music that we write and um, yeah. We're fucking cool. Listen to our music. You are fucking cool, <laughs> and you should listen to Palm Reader's music because <laughs> Sleepless is fucking wicked. Um, lads, uh, I wish I had more time with you, man, but I know that uh, press interviews can be uh, can be a bit boring and stuff sometimes. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk. Uh, to well, me I mean, if you got any more questions, right? We haven't got anything to do. There's a lot. Well, well um, if I could be as cheeky uh, to squeeze, I guess one I'm, more out. I haven't got any money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nowhere near that cheeky dude. Um, if I could be, I guess, okay, then um, the, the glass jaw, if I can squeeze one more out, um, yeah. the, the glass jaw thing, by that point, you'd already been slaving away on the underground scene for, for quite a while. So, in terms of your ability to gel as a live band, you'd already got that absolutely nailed down by then. But at the point where it's like, oh, fucking hell, now we're supporting glass jaw at Brixton. Do you are you sitting around trying to convince yourselves we'll just do the same thing that we've done for the last six years, or is it like 
anxiety setting in. We've got to we've got to try and be something bigger than we were previously. What were the discussions like? I think the main one was we can't fuck it up. Um, apart from that, it's not. I don't want to say business as usual because that sounds quite just too flippant. Yeah. For the kind of uh, for the opportunity that we were given, but because by that point we had that year we'd come off the back of two almost month long um, Euro tours plus other shows and a couple of festivals thrown in for good measure. It's like we were at that point, just um, live-wise anyway, it's quite a, a well-oiled machine. So we knew that, you know, we could go on stage and there would be, there could be no one there. And we do, <laughs> as we refer to so lovingly, do the thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, we know that it will be at a, um, you know, at a standard. But then obviously you go and sound check on that stage and you're like, shit, yeah. massive. Yeah. So you kind of, uh, I, I guess we kind of like just sort of forced ourselves to kind of like step up to the plate um, and not kind of get lost with the uh, the grandeur of the building. Because I have seen a couple of um, friends bands even um, where they kind of seem to just kind of just get a bit lost yeah. with the size of the stage. But luckily, because we, you know, we've done a whole bunch of Euro festivals when they go, Europe a noisy hardcore band go on this massive stage that you don't belong on and um <laughs> you kind of have to you have to force yourself to um to fill the space so yeah you gotta make yourself seem bigger it's sort of like playing a club show is sort of like how if you come across like a coyote in the wild and you've got to seem relatively big but like yeah. Brixton, like if you come across a grizzly bear and you've got to make yourself huge somehow it's just you you've got to make everything seem you've got to make those five individuals on that massive stage seen the width and the height of it and it's yeah it's uh it's bizarre um yeah definitely a definitely experience none of us like will forget in a hurry unless we headline it then we'll gladly brush it off <laughs> <laughs> lads uh, i can't thank you enough for your time and congrats on sleepless um for me personally is um far and away the best thing you've ever done and I've liked everything you've done up to this point so uh, really really tremendous record that I really hope that you're as proud of as I as much as I enjoy listening to it um, can't, thank, can't thank you enough for your time man uh, this has been wicked uh, I really hope that at some point soon in the next hopeful year there's a time you're in Birmingham and I will be there as I have been I think I don't, I'm not sure whether, whether, whether I've missed you at any point when you've been within 20 miles of me so and I, I, I vary not to do so again anyway um, so I look forward to seeing you again whenever that is congrats on Sleepless and I'll thank you for your time thanks very much man take it Cheers, easy man. thank you